Luke 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It's wonderful to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. It's always a joy, and I, I really appreciate Jeff giving me the opportunity to do this. My name is Tony Freitas. My wife Holly and I are missionaries with the Reach Global, which is the uh, mission under the Evangelical Free Church of America. And we travel to many, many different parts of the world and, and train pastors and leaders in these different places. And so uh, Bethany has been a big part of that. And we want to thank you, Bethany, for just being such a big part of what it is that we do and, and your support for us through everything that comes through this church to make our ministry possible. This morning, I got up early, and I usually do. I usually get up before everybody else, everybody, my wife and my dog. But I'm usually up before they are. And I went down to the living room, and I sat down. Well, first I went over, and I turned on the lights on our Christmas tree. And I sat down, and I looked at the Christmas tree, and I thought to myself, what is it that makes Christmas special for me? What is it that I like most about Christmas? Now, I might sound like a little kid, but my favorite part is presents. I love presents. I love giving presents, and I love getting presents. And so, that's just part, that's just me. Now, I'm sure that each of you, at some point during Christmas, have received something that was interesting, something that you really kind of went, wow, what is this? Think about that for a moment. Think about what that might have been. For me... It was this marble ball, about this big. What came with the ball is a stand that had three arrows like this. And the ball sat in the middle of the arrows. Well, this gift came from my brother-in-law. So I had to be careful what I was going to say. Because I didn't know what it was. I'm like, what is this thing? And so I put it down and I put the ball on it. I'm like, 
Does it have instructions? What am I supposed to do with it? How does it work? What do I do with this gift that my brother-in-law gave me? I didn't know. There weren't instructions. I didn't know what it was supposed to be. It turns out it was supposed to sit on my desk to hold papers and other things. But it was an interesting present. When I think of that present, I think that Mary on that very first Christmas morning, when she gave birth to the baby Jesus, that had to be an interesting moment. She's in a stable, isn't expected where she was going to give her baby or have her baby. She wasn't expecting to have the baby in a stable. She had her baby in a stable. And she's looking at him with joy in her eyes. And like many of us that have kids, when our babies are born, especially the dads, we always think, okay, where's the instructions? How do I operate this thing? And I think for Mary, when she had her son, Jesus, the son of the living God, wouldn't you imagine that Mary would want to have some instruction for raising this child? I mean, think about that. You have just been given the responsibility to raise the Son of God. Mary was a mom. She was a mom like many of the moms that are here today. She was a mom. Sometimes she's put up a lot higher than we really feel that she should be because she's not more important than Jesus. There were some really great things that Jeff said in his message last week. And things that were just, it was a lot of information. A lot of information given at one time. And we kind of left right in the middle of the story. And so what I want to do right now is to take us all back so we're all on the same page. I'm going to do a quick review of last week. It's going to be fast, but we're going to go through it just because I want you to be at the same place so that you know where we are when we pick up in this passage. Now Jeff's message last week was on the angel's first song. And here's what we learned. We learned Mary is a virgin somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary to tell her that he has found favor, or she has found favor with God. Okay, so Mary is a bit creeped out at this moment. You have to imagine the angel appearing before you, and I imagine that any of us would be a little creeped out if an angel appeared to any of us. By the time the angel says, don't be afraid, it's too late. I'm already scared. Anyway, the angel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now, ladies, I want you to put yourself in the same situation. You're a 13-year-old girl who still thinks that boys are obnoxious, they smell bad, and should be avoided at all costs. You're 13 years old. Now you've been told by an angel that you will conceive a son. Not just any son, the Son of God. 
Then to be pregnant before marriage, it's going to bring shame to not only yourself, but to your family. So when you go back home to tell everybody your story about what you just experienced, who's going to believe you? Who's going to believe you? I have to imagine, for Mary, it was going to be a lot like that. Or men, dads, how would you respond if your daughter came home and told you the same story? How would you respond? Now, we don't know anything about Mary's parents, nor do we know how they responded when she went home. But I do know that as a father, if my daughter came home and told me this, I would definitely want to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with Joseph. I want to know what's going on. I would take the time to go talk to Joseph to figure out, okay, what has happened here? Now, instantly, Mary, she is going to be an outcast. Rumors, whispers as she passes by. Everyone will be talking about Mary. Now, if you remember in last week's message, Nazareth was a town of about 150 to 200 people. Not a very big town. Everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody knew what had happened to Mary. Then Mary, she's going to conceive a baby. And Gabriel tells Mary that her cousin Elizabeth, who's beyond childbearing years, is six months pregnant with a baby who will be named John, who later will be John the Baptist. A little extra information here. John is going to be Jesus' second cousin and will pave the way for Jesus' ministry. Jesus will be the Messiah who at the age of 33, through his death, burial, and resurrection, will take upon himself the sins of the world. What about Joseph? Joseph, of course, he's concerned that his fiancée is pregnant, and Mary keeps trying to convince him of this crazy story. Think about it. This is in real time. Joseph's trying to figure out what to do, and I would imagine that his stress level was through the roof. Thankfully, the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph in a dream and clears up everything validating Mary's story. Matthew 1, verses 18 and 19, if you want to turn there and follow along with me, it gives us an account of Joseph's experience. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And to take away any doubt that you might have had in your mind that Joseph's dream was even a real experience, 
with the angel Gabriel. And it wasn't a result of something he ate that day. This really did happen. And after Jesus was born, God once again sent Gabriel two, in two more dreams. One to tell Joseph to take his family to Egypt so that uh, he would be able to protect Jesus so Herod would not kill him. And another was to tell Herod that he, or to tell him that Herod was dead and that he could return home. Keep in mind that what we know is based on biblical facts. Everything we know is based on biblical facts. It's God's word. It's a living, breathing word of God. It is true. So everything we know today is based on those biblical facts. We have the resources to look back in time as we complete the story. We can see what happened from the present to look back. For those involved, this was happening right there and then. Their story had not been yet written because they are the story. For this reason, I want you to, as best as you can, imagine yourself as if you were in the midst of all this chaos. Let's get back to Mary. So Mary had just, or Gabriel had just told Mary about Elizabeth. So Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. So she could tell Elizabeth about her pregnancy. And this is where we're going to pick up on in the story for this morning's message. There's a lot of details in those passages that I just went through. In the passages that Jeff taught on last week, there's a lot of details. And there's a lot of details in the passages to come. But we have to remember that God is a master of every detail. Now, in your bulletin, you're going to see the numbers somehow we got mixed up. And in the bulletin, it's number two, but it's actually supposed to be number one. God is the master of every detail. So over the next two hours, I'm going to try to share as many of those details with you as I possibly can. Or I'll share those same details in the next 40 minutes or less. We'll see how that goes. Now, however complicated this all sounds, we have to remember that God knows every minute detail of each and every one of our lives. He knew every minute detail of Mary's life. He knew every minute detail of Joseph. He knew every minute detail of Elizabeth and Zechariah. So, we're with Mary now, and Mary's on a road trip. It's probably a two-day journey from Nazareth to the home of her cousin Elizabeth in Judah. Luke 1, 39-55 says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. And when she did, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I want to go back to, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leaped 
The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, some of you know, Holly and I and our family, we lived in Tanzania for 10 years. Uh, we've been in the mission field for 15 years. While living in Tanzania, when we would want to go visit the home of somebody in our community, in our neighborhood, just a natural walking through the neighborhood, want to say hi, we would walk up to their door, which was usually a curtain, so you couldn't knock on it. The walls are stone, so you can't knock on the stone. They don't have a doorbell. So what do you do? You push the curtain over, you stick your head in, and we say, hody, hody, which means, hey, I'm here. And they would say, keribu, which means, come on in. You're welcome. Come in. I have to imagine that when Mary went to the house of Elizabeth, and when she greeted Elizabeth, it was similar to that experience where she peeked her head in and said, hody, hody. And Elizabeth said, come on in. And when she heard her greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. He leaped for joy. So, Mary went to the home of Elizabeth probably because Elizabeth was the only person who could understand Mary's story. She's the only person that could understand Mary's story. Now, Elizabeth could understand because she had a similar experience where the angel Gabriel had appeared to her husband, Zachariah, to tell him that she, a woman well beyond childbearing age, would have a baby. Now, at best guess, Elizabeth was probably between the ages of 45 and 80. Different writings that I studied have her age all across the board. But somewhere between 45 and 80. Although we don't know her exact age, if we look back in Genesis 12, at the story of Abraham and Sarah, who was also barren, Abraham was 75 years old when he received the promise of a son. And in Genesis 21.5, it tells us that he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Sarah was 90. Abraham and Sarah had waited 25 years for the fulfillment of God's promise. 25 years. Now, if, and it's a big if, Suppose we say that Elizabeth was 70 when she had John. She would be a kid compared to Sarah. Really? I mean, it's interesting because it seems like the older I get, the more I change that goalpost so that the goalpost that I determine what the age is that somebody is considered a kid. Right now it's about 50. <clears throat> There's some interesting similarities between Mary and Elizabeth. What's interesting is Mary is a virgin between the ages of 12 and 15. Elizabeth is barren somewhere between the ages of 45 and 80. For either of them to bear a child could only happen through a miraculous event. 
It could only happen through a miraculous event. That miracle came when the angel Gabriel announced that each of these women will give birth to a son. For Mary, it would be Jesus, and for Elizabeth, it would be John. Once again, God has chosen to bless the world through an insignificant young girl and through an older woman who thought God had totally forgotten her. In the book, Hidden Christmas, Timothy Keller says, You cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly, or even be forgetting his promises. But when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you imagined. God's grace virtually never operates on our time frame, on a schedule we consider reasonable. It's never on our time frame. Never on our time frame. It's never convenient. Let's look at Zechariah. In Luke 11, 1 through 15, and there appeared to him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him once again, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Now, Zechariah was taken aback when Gabriel told him these things, because he had spent most of his life believing that God had forgotten him. He spent most of his life forgetting that possibly God didn't even notice him. At this point, Zechariah should have just remained silent. He should have just not said anything. But he had to ask the question, how is this possible? I'm an old man, and my wife, she's old. How is this even going to be possible? Now, unfortunately, because Zechariah doubted the angel, Elizabeth's preg- uh, the angel's announcement of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel took away his ability to speak. We see this in Luke 1.20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. God knows when you're ready to hear his voice. God knows when you're ready to hear his voice. He will speak to you through one form or he's going to speak to you through another form. Possibly an angel. It might be through God's word. It might be through prayer time when you're praying to God. But he knows when you're ready to hear his voice. However, he decides to speak in whatever way he chooses to do that. It's up to you to listen and to believe what he is telling you. It's up to you to listen and believe what it is that he's telling you. And I promise that it won't happen on your timing. It never does. It doesn't happen on your time. It's not convenient. Why? Because God knows your heart. 
Let's look at the heart of Zechariah and the heart of Mary. Zechariah's response was from a heart of doubt. And he was punished for that doubt. Zechariah was older, wiser, and as a priest serving in the temple, he of all people should have known not to question God's messenger. He should have known. Mary's response was from a pure heart that wanted to be used by God, and she was blessed. Her question was not out of her question was out of her innocence. Therefore, Gabriel was patient with Mary and gave her the details of all that would take place. Gabriel even gave Mary a friend that she could confide in when, she, when he said to Mary, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. What was Mary's response to Gabriel when he spoke? Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. How often do we respond like Zechariah? Think about that. How often do we respond like Zechariah? Feeling insignificant, overlooked, possibly forgotten. So we don't listen to God. Instead, we question God. We don't listen to Him. We question Him. How often should we respond to God as Mary did? By saying, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Too often, we, or I'll put myself in here, I respond like Zechariah. Because it's easier than opening ourselves up and allowing God to use us changing our plan into his plan. It's not convenient. Whatever your situation, the good news is that God's got this. God's got this. God is in control of everything. So Mary was anxious to visit Elizabeth because the angel Gabriel told her about Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Elizabeth's home was naturally a safe place for Mary. It was a safe place for Mary. The one person who would understand Mary would be Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, her baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit from the time Elizabeth's from the time Elizabeth's son, John, who was later John the Baptist, was born, all that he did was guided by the Holy Spirit. Everything John the Baptist did was guided by the Holy Spirit. Here's an interesting side note for you, and it's really too cool not to mention. So we're a little off track here, but it's really cool. Did you notice that at the very beginning here, we have God, the Father, who sent his messenger Gabriel, we have Jesus, Mary's baby, God's only son. And now we have Elizabeth and John who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Sound familiar? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. 
While I was preparing this, it was like an aha moment for me. I was like, whoa, that just caught me. I had not noticed that before, that all of that would, would come to mind. But that was just a really cool moment. So anyway, in verses 42 through 45, Elizabeth blesses Mary for her obedience to God. And she says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It's quite possible that Mary's pregnancy had already been revealed to Elizabeth. Once again, there's people who will argue both sides. She didn't know or she didn't know, but it is possible that she knew about Mary's pregnancy, and that her cousin Mary would be the mother of Jesus. And she goes on to say, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Then Mary responds to Elizabeth's blessing in what is now commonly called the Magnificat. Some Bibles will, tell, will uh, title this passage as Mary's Song or the Song of Mary. Although the Bible doesn't report that Mary sang it, we know that it was compro- composed from many Old Testament verses. These verses were a part of Mary's culture and were memorized. And as a traditional custom, they were sung on feast days. It's not unrealistic that, that the Holy Spirit would have brought to Mary's mind these verses to which she would have spoken in the form of a poem that was later put to music. Let's focus on the Song of Mary. The first line of Mary's response is translated in various ways. In the New American Standard Bible, it is translated as, My soul exalts the Lord. The NIV translates it as, my soul glorifies the Lord. King James translated as, my soul doth magnify the Lord. In the English Standard Version, my soul magnifies the Lord. The Latin translation of Mary's response begins with the word magnificat, which simply means magnify, exalt, glorify. The Magnificat is a poem of praise to God, praising him for his blessing to Mary and the faithfulness that he gave to Israel. The Magnificat also highlights a series of reversals in which the proud are humbled and the humble are exalted. The proud are humbled and the humble are exalted. It's a complete reversal. Not the least being a poor young girl who will be the, mar- the mother of the Messiah. So with amazement and thanksgiving, Mary's soul glorifies the Lord. Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. Depending on the version that you look at. The first two verses in the song. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. The Magnificat. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
In these passages, Mary is in awe, reflecting on her recent experience. Over and over again, God says, I will choose Nazareth, not Jerusalem. I will choose the girl that nobody wants. And I will choose the boy everybody's forgotten. God didn't choose someone with great wealth, someone with authority. He chose an insignificant girl with nothing that the world considered valuable. She was already at the bottom of the social ladder, and she knew that if she surrendered to God, she would go even lower. Yet, she did so willingly and went through the agony of watching her son, Jesus the Messiah, be tortured and die. Think of all the darkness she embraced when she said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. Yet look, Mary is only mentioned in the Bible 12 times. She's only mentioned 12 times. Now, it could vary on your version of the Bible. Best estimates, 12 times. Think about that. She would have to be very humble to only be mentioned from the very beginning of Jesus' birth and not to be mentioned in, up after Pentecost. That's a humble, humble woman. Yet today, most people in the world know who she is. They travel all over the world, and people in every country that I've been to know who Mary is. It's not a question. They know her because she humbled herself and became a servant. She became one of the greatest people in history. For behold, the next passage, for behold, from now on all generations will be called blessed, or will call me blessed. From behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. To God, this insignificant young girl Mary would become the most valuable and blessed person ever known to mankind. Because only through her would our Savior Jesus Christ be born. Mary could have thought, this is my chance to be someone. I'm going to be famous. This is, oh man, I'm going to get on Facebook right now and I'm going to tell everybody what's going on. She didn't do that. But Mary's response was one of humbleness as she said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, maybe later in life, Mary would see the impact of her faith, but more realistically, that impact came after her death. Mary's life was no longer simple. She had other children that would not see Jesus as anything more than another sibling. She had other children. She was a real mom. Mary was the mom with the strange kid around the block who liked to hang out at the temple and always had his head in the scrolls. That's how people saw her. It would only be later that even Mary 
would recognize Jesus' real purpose and to see who he truly was. Isn't that how life is? Isn't that how life is? We get caught up in the everyday activities of life and we forget that Jesus is right there with us. We get so busy that we forget that he's standing right there. And his mercy, the next one, and his mercy mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. What is healthy fear? What does it mean to fear the Lord? There are three types of fear that are referenced in the Bible. One is fear that one feels in a threatening situation. Another is fear that a servant has for their master, which causes him to serve faithfully. And there is the fear that denotes the reverence or awe a person feels in the presence of greatness. The fear of the Lord is a combination of all three. God's mercy is for those who fear him. The next two verses, 51 and 52. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Because God chose to use a simple child to be the mother of God's only son, He has shown the people with political and monetary power that God isn't interested in your wealth. Money can't buy your salvation. Power can't demand your salvation. And only a humble heart that is desiring a relationship with God, the Father, can be the means for your salvation. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus came to proclaim the good news for the poor, to proclaim liberty for the captives, to recover sight to the blind, to proclaim liberty to the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what he came to do. God fulfills those, or God fills those who are spiritually hungry until they are satisfied. The human perspective sees wealth as a blessing and poverty as a curse. God's plan is much greater and uses both wealth and poverty to accomplish his will. We are to avoid the temptation to see wealth as God's only blessing and instead be content in any and every circumstance, knowing that God's blessings are not defined by our possessions in this world, but are found in their fullness in a kingdom that is not of this world. I'll say that again. God's blessings are not defined by our possessions in this world, but are found in their fullness in a kingdom that is not of this world. He has helped his servant Israel. The next two verses, 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Through Mary, he embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, and he piled the mercies high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham 
and right up to this very day. Today. As we've learned today from the lives of Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zachariah, Abraham, and Ruth, you are not insignificant. You are not unnoticed, and you are never forgotten. You are not insignificant. You have not gone unnoticed, and you are never forgotten. God gives us so much more than we could ever give back to Him. Are you ready to respond to God as Mary did? The best Christmas gift that you could ever give back to Jesus is to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you want to give a present to Jesus this year, and next year, and the year after. Give him that. Give yourself to him and say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary would stay with Elizabeth for three months, and she was likely with Elizabeth at the birth of, uh, of her son, John, John the Baptist. And then Mary returned home. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for coming to the earth to bring us hope. You have given us so much more than we could ever give back to you, and yet you continue to love us more than we deserve. Without you, there would really be no reason for us to celebrate this Christmas season. Help us to never forget who you are and everything that you have given to us, and forgive us for the times we do. Thank you for never forgetting us, for never leaving us, and never forsaking us. We love you. We love you so much, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Now, will you stand with me as we...